0: Hey Boilermakers, welcome to a special series of the Success Express. I'm Grayson Stanjakevich and I'm so glad you're listening in. In honor of Purdue's 150 years of giant leaps, we're sitting down with four recent Purdue alumni who have gone above and beyond in the fields of space exploration, artificial intelligence, health and longevity, and sustainable economy and planet. Our guests share advice, personal experiences, lessons learned, and so much more. It's all here and it's happening right now. Welcome to the Success Express. Today's episode focuses on sustainability. Our guest is recent alum, Ellen Zuris. Ellen graduated from Purdue in 2012 with a bachelor's degree in building construction management. Today, Ellen is pursuing her master's degree in sustainable urban planning and design from KTH Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm, Sweden. She's passionate about all things sustainable and seeks to make a greater, more direct impact on our built environment. Prior to earning her master's, Ellen worked as a project manager and project engineer for a variety of companies, such as Executive Construction, Lease Crutcher Lewis, and Nordstrom. She also had the opportunity to travel to West Africa and work with a nonprofit organization that partnered with locals to build health clinics. During her time at Purdue, Ellen was involved with Women in Technology, Order of the Iron Key, College of Technology Ambassadors, and Habitat for Humanity. She also served as a student respondent for commencement, which means, guys, listen to this, she gave a speech at her graduation ceremony in 2012, so that's pretty cool. Today, Ellen is here to share her perspective on sustainability and the future of our planet and how Purdue played a big role in her career journey. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Ellen. Hi, Ellen. Welcome to the show. Hello.
1: Much for having me. Yes,
0: so excited to have you here. Guys, Ellen is live from Sweden right now.
1: That is true. Stockholm. Stockholm. Uh, and the university is KTH. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. It's literally like 12:30 in the afternoon here in the United States. And Ellen, what what time is it over there?
1: Oh, that's a good point. It is 6:30. We just had daylight savings and it is super bright out. So I'm dealing with um, unusual Daylight
0: hours—that's for sure. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> You're literally eating dinner, and my day is like only halfway run its course. So that's so fun. So thanks for coming on. Let's just jump right into it. Can you tell us when you first um, had a passion for sustainability? When did that begin?
1: Sure. I think it started when I was in high school. I was in an environmental science class. And my, school, my class took a trip to a green building center where we learned about reusing materials and understanding how energy flows can be maximized uh, and using other sustainable means of building. And when I learned that you can actually repurpose jeans um, for building insulation, I was fascinated by that that was even a concept. Um, I was already kind of into recycling and committed myself to a vegetarian diet, but when I realized Um, The repurpose of materials can actually be fun and really interesting. Um, I think that's how my green commitment like shot up to one of the main priorities of my life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's so cool. It's so neat how that has been a thread for you since high school.
1: Yes, no pun intended.
0: Yes, kind of the thread of the
1: jeans. Okay.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, we love that. So you talked a little bit about um, high school and how that passion began then, so let's move to what happened next your undergrad years and um, we know that you had a major in construction management so how and why did you decide on that major
1: sure so I attended the do it discovering opportunities in technology program which was a three-night event when I was a senior in high school uh, exploring the different majors within the College of Technology and I think now it's um, the Purdue Polytechnic Institute yes I was most intrigued by the construction project management career path because I really liked leading groups and also taking things from a 2D drawing to a 3D. Uh, model and in in real life, and then kind of adding 4D, which is the element of time, and and you know putting it all together and making a tangible product. Uh, I'll be completely honest with you. When I first applied, I thought I'm gonna probably change majors. I'm not entirely sure if this is totally for me, but. The professors were so great. I received so much support, and um, the courses were super interesting. I never had a reason to leave, and I was like, this is pretty great, and so I kept through it till graduation.
0: That's awesome. Do you have a favorite class or favorite professor?
1: Oh, gosh, that's a great question. I have a number of favorite professors and even mentors that I still keep in touch with today. I don't think I can call one out specifically, but I will hands down say that... The professors and even some of my colleagues, or, or I guess peers, my student friends, totally influenced uh, my formative years, and, and those connections, for sure, like still stay with me to this day, ten years later.
0: That's awesome, and that says a lot about the Purdue community. Um, that even even ten years down the road, you're still connected. I totally agree. Yeah, that's super cool. Can you think of any specific classes or experiences, maybe some of the internships that you had? Um, that led to your decision to get your master's in sustainable urban planning and design. I know that um, you actually took some time to work in between undergrad and getting your master's. So maybe it was a job that you had there as well. But can you think of what specifically led to your decision to pursue your master's? Sure.
1: So when I was at uh, Purdue, one of my minors was sustainable environments, and I was lucky enough to have a class with Dr. Larry Nice of the Environmental Engineering program. He taught me so many really awesome and important things. In one of his lectures, he showed a video of a school in Sweden doing projects related to urban planning, and it was Actually, just like a five-minute quick video, but the ideas that were presented in that video just kind of stuck with me, and for the past six years, I've been, I've had this seed planted in my head. Wouldn't it be so cool to go to Sweden and study from such a sustainable country, um, and now here I am, super lucky to be kind of fulfilling a dream that was sparked by one of my favorite Purdue professors, so wow. it all it all worked out.
0: Yeah. No, it, it sounds like it really did. Can you tell us for those of us who have no clue what sustainable urban planning and design means, can you give us just a quick breakdown elevator spiel as like to what that means, what that is?
1: Sure. So I think one of the most important things about um, sustainable urban planning is that sustainability looks different for each city that you might be planning for. And while architects design design, and facilitate, and and the contractors facilitate building an an actual building. Urban planners really kind of work on, depending on the country, um, zoning or what areas should serve it, what functions, um, what the buildings might look like, um, and kind of how to get the community engaged while also making sure that the three pillars, sometimes four pillars of sustainability, which are, of course, um, environment, economics. And then the social aspects, with the fourth pillar sometimes being cultural aspects, being met and preserved for
0: future generations. So it's it's not just, you're like, as you said, you're not the person who's specifically designing a specific building, but it's more looking at the layout of a city as a whole and saying how can we best utilize our resources and our, and our land and our space um, as we go forward in development? Exactly. You totally summed it up. (laughs) Oh. Okay. (laughs) So what are the big issues impacting your field today? And then what do you foresee the big issues to be coming in the next decade?
1: Sure. So I think this is a three-part answer climate change should really be our utmost priority. I wish the greater public, and particularly Americans, um, yes, I'm calling us out as I am an American, um, we should really understand how pressing and important it is to implement the UN uh, SDGs, which are the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. They're taken very seriously in Europe, and They affect virtually every single country in the world, whether you're developing or developed. Um, They kind of put everyone on the same playing field because each of the SDGs apply to every single country, no matter what kind of category they might want to assign themselves. Um, Another issue is gender and racial inequalities. So in sustainable urban planning, we really look at what it means for each individual area. It isn't gonna look the same for every single city. Um, As far as 10 years from now, it's a bit hard to say. In general, clients and municipalities and and everyone wants solutions that are adaptable. So we don't know how severe climate change will affect us, but we do know um, that the best thing that we can do is to anticipate these changes and making the needs met of Today's generation too, so kind of having a plan that's able to accommodate for um, perhaps a flood, but then also provide recreational landscape for the people to use. So kind of taking the best of the best, and maybe even the worst case scenario scenarios, and kind of merging them into one, hopefully awesome tool.
0: So it sounds like you're always researching and always having to kind of stay on top of the ball of, of what's happening in the world, because it sounds like that really informs the work that you're doing.
1: Definitely. And um, I know it was totally a thing at Purdue, and and particularly in my master's program right now, they're really focused on interdisciplinary solutions. So while, of course, planners will talk to other planners, we really should also be talking to um, the engineers and the architects and the environmentalists and the corporations who have the money to make some of these solutions happen and probably most importantly the citizens who are going to be living in these cities what do they want and what do they need and how can we kind of merge all these together into into one solution
0: it takes a village <laughs>
1: it really does and it all falls on the urban planner no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, it's, but it sounds like you do carry a lot of weight in these decisions. That all kind of comes back to you at the end of the day.
1: I guess I'd like to think of it as a fun opportunity <laughs> to try to, you know, steer society into what I and the community thinks is the most sustainable future for them. Mm-hmm. So it's... It does feel like um, maybe a heavy weight on my shoulders, but it also provides an opportunity to make an awesome um, change for the future. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how does your personal work today address those issues, um, or how is your work impacted?
1: Sure. This is uh, kind of a hard question. Um, I try and love learning new techniques and ideas and information um, on to implement all the time. In fact, just now before this call, I was just at a um, public-private partnership meeting where a local company was holding an innovation um, roundtable. Where we got within groups of five, and we kind of were, you know, challenged to come up with an innovative idea on new parking garage concept. So, if you take something as simple and boring as a parking garage, you know, how can you design it for optimal use? but also kind of making it like a pleasurable experience, or perhaps we shouldn't be making it so pleasurable because maybe that will only further encourage the use of personal cars in lieu of taking public transportation. So there's a lot of different things to think about um, for something as simple as this but back to the question I really don't think that one person can do it alone Um, implementing integrative solutions and using uh, the interdisciplinary approaches that that I was talking about before is how we as urban planners believe um, to be the best way to move forward also so while being here in Europe I was recently introduced to the idea of effective altruism which is um, if we all know altruism, like doing good for others, but um, it kind of tries to answer the question, what is the most good you could do? So, you know, how can you potentially spend what you have, your resources and time in making um or in touching perhaps the most lives, we're all here for a short amount of time, and it really fascinates me to explore the most uh, effective and efficient way to spend uh, my time and resources. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super. It's a super interesting concept that I've never really thought about before. It's almost like a, a charitynavigator.com for your life, and that's not to say that you know one form of altruism is better than another by all means we're all trying to make you know our best difference our our best impact on society um but it just kind of is an opportunity to think about well perhaps if i you know donate to this charity or spend some time talking about this subject more it might be a bit more impactful on people that might need it the most
0: that's so neat and as you said this this concept of effective altruism i think it's really interesting though that there are kind of two sides to that coin because not all altruism is is good altruism in the sense that not everything we do even though it might be it might have good intent intentions it could actually end up hurting the environment or hurting society um in a way that we don't necessarily foresee or intend to do you think that's true
1: Exactly. And I think that's actually the whole point of effective altruism. While you might be donating to an organization that is providing, um, you know, clean water to an area that may not have it, it might be worth just going that little extra step to see on how they're doing it. Having Westerners come in and try to Introduce concepts to the global south or developing countries um, as the best way or the right way may really not be what we want to do. Working on the local level, really trying to understand what these people need on the ground and how best to implement it is um, definitely worth exploring and looking into
0: more. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more with that. I think it's interesting generationally. I think we're starting to see that idea or that thoughtfulness become more and more prevalent in our conversations at least i do um amongst amongst my peers um i feel like kind of that tide is shifting and people are becoming more self-aware of that so i'm, I'm hoping that that kind of takes us on a, a good trajectory in the future
1: i agree 100 with you i'm so excited in um, so many of the conversations i have with young or recent graduates and how much more conscious they are in all of these decisions and i'm I want to say I'm proud of you guys, but I'm just so thankful because in a sense, it actually feels like our future has a very strong chance of being awesome because um, because of the awareness and because of the the consciousness of, you know, what decisions you're making on a daily basis and how they will affect our
0: future. Yeah, this is kind of a fun question. Um, When we when you were talking about the parking garage concept, this kind of made me think of this. So I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, but well, this is kind of a twofold question. One. Do you think personal cars will be eradicated in the coming years? I feel like people are always talking about that. Or um, the other one is that cars will be, what is it, like self-automated?
1: Yeah, it is self-automation cars. Um, Okay. So your first question was, will personal cars be gone? Um, I'm not entirely sure that all personal cars will be eradicated. It's pretty interesting to think about because the U.S.'s infrastructure really is spread out and created for car use. So that's something that, um, in particular, we really have to come up with, like, super innovative ways on how to deal with the existing infrastructure and upgrading it and, you know, making it more accommodating for bicycles and making it more walkable. Um, Also, there's um, people with disabilities and maybe young families are always going to want to have that option of using a personal car. So it kind of has to be available for you know, people of certain demographics. As far as automation, you know, there's so many articles out there. Some are saying it's going to happen within the next ten years, and, and there are a few that say no, no way. There's a lot of political barriers and legislation that would need to be passed in order to get that going. But in general, yeah, I'm totally excited. I think the idea of automation might allow for less congestion. So, if you're just, you know, calling an automated car to run a quick errand, and someone can, someone else can use that car immediately after, there that makes, you know, maybe two less cars on the road. Um, so, I think potentials are totally there. But what should really be emphasized is the use of public transportation, and again, walkability and bikeability, because that's what makes communities. Um, not only livable, but, like, more enjoyable. We don't want to be around cars all the time, and if you can walk from a neighbor's house to get your groceries, no matter where you live, whether it be a rural area or an urban area, um, it makes it makes living
0: better. I just feel like that that's a fun question, and I don't know why my generation in particular seems so interested um, by this question, but I feel like, like weekly somebody brings this up and I don't know if if people are excited or if they're nervous I think there are definitely people who fall on both sides of the aisle but um you're definitely the person who I think would know the most about that so thanks for thanks for speaking into that oh no problem (laughs) yeah so another question for you this is kind of an an all-encompassing question how did your Purdue education impact your success um in your field today
1: My Purdue education, hands down, provided the absolute best foundation I could have ever asked for. That sounds so corny, and I really don't want to sound like goody-two-shoes, but I'm not kidding. The professors were incredible. Um, The connections and networking after I graduated were outstanding. And and by all means, um, you know, coming from the name where everyone thinks potentially might be a – Ivy League school never really hurts the situation. Um, the networking opportunities were so plentiful, um, and also inspiring. Like the more people you meet, I think, um, the more you realize that you really can do what you want, which is something I feel so lucky to feel like I can say I've done. Um, if you kind of, you know, set your goals really high, if you're manifesting and putting into the universe that you want to do certain things, um, you will meet the right people. You will make, you know, by all means, many wrong choices, but some right ones, and hopefully some of those align and get you to some of your end goals. So, um Purdue was definitely the foundation for, for my career
0: in getting all of that going. Yeah, I love to hear that. I think that's very encouraging for our students to hear that they are absolutely in the right place um, and that this this institution is a great springboard to opportunities all around the world, and you have clearly demonstrated that.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I'm humbled, and I really never thought I'd really be here, but... Like I said, you know, you just kind of put your best foot forward. There will always be struggles. By all means, nothing's ever perfect. But, you know, just keep trying and getting getting out there. Maybe go to that uh, extra coffee hour or happy hour um, that is sponsored by some company that you might be interested in because you never really know who you might meet that might have a connection and help you uh, get where you ultimately want to be.
0: Yeah. I love that. That's great advice. Thanks, Helen. Last question for you. Mm -hmm. We try to ask our guests all of this question. What is something that you failed at in undergrad or in your first job? And how did you learn from it? How did you grow?
1: Oh, my God. So many things. Okay, let's see. What did I fail at? So when I was at my first job, I learned first and foremost how important folder structure, organization, and naming can be. Um, I had incorrectly named a folder that accidentally had the entire project's worth of photos and deleted it, although it was needed for the the operations and maintenance manual at the end of the job. and. Um, Unfortunately, the servers had also just gone down, so I had lost all of the photos and it it just felt so awful about it. But, you know, if there's one little takeaway from it, I guess it would be um, be intentional. It's totally worth putting in an extra two seconds to properly name your folders
0: moving forward. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, that's a huge takeaway. Um, You know, this failure doesn't have to be this, you know, big life altering moment, something as little as naming the folder the right thing, like that can go a long way.
1: I really think it can, especially for people um that might be looking at your information down the line, which happens all the time. Um, it definitely helps make their lives easier if everything is where they might expect it. So to all you listeners out there, be organized for the sake of future generations.
0: <laughs> Love that. That is a great reminder, especially for those of us college students who don't feel like we have time to be organized, but know that we need to be organized. So yes, that's good. good. <laughs> that is a good last word. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Ellen. We really appreciate taking time to call us from Sweden. Yeah, it was super fun. Thank you so much for
1: having me. And um, don't forget, everyone. Well. Recycling is super important. Using less is even more important. And yes, your everyday decisions do count for a more sustainable future.
0: Perfect. We will definitely keep that in mind. Thank you for passing that good nugget of wisdom along.
1: Thanks, thanks, thanks. Have a good
0: one. You too thank you to all of you who have been listening along to this special series throughout the month of may this was the last episode in the giant leap series and so we're signing off for the summer we'll be back with season two of the success express in august and we cannot wait to introduce you guys to our guests if you have enjoyed this giant leap series would you do us a favor can you leave us a rating and a review on itunes it'll just take a quick second and your review will help itunes know to recommend the show to other listeners thank you again for all of your support Just another reminder, the CCO is open all summer long, and we would love to see you. And when school starts up again in August, we would love to help you prep for your upcoming career fairs. Feel free to stop by the CCO and meet with one of our consultants to discuss your resume, interview skills, or visit our career closet. You can also schedule an appointment to meet one-on-one with a career counselor. We're located in Young Hall, and we're open Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. That's all we have for the Giant Leap series. Who knows whose leaps we'll be celebrating 50 years from now? Could be yours. Ever grateful, ever true. I'm Grace and Sandra Kevich, and thanks for tuning in to the Success Express. See you guys in August.